Welcome to this week's Extreme Upland Podcast. We're going to sit down around the campfire with Andy Taylor, and I love sitting down with these consummate upland hunting pros and the upland heroes of our day. Andy became a professional hunter, a professional dog trainer. Really, uh, it was a mother of necessity for him. And as he's learned to train dogs and learned to do the things that he does, uh, he has really picked up on some of the most essential mistakes that we make as amateur do-it-yourself hunters. He'll bring in these dogs of every breed and variety, and we'll discuss with us today a little bit about some of the things that we just got to make sure we don't do with our own dogs and how he sees and how he identifies some of the great dogs he'll have. He'll talk about his goat, his greatest of all time dog. And he spends much of the year uh, guiding and the rest of the year training these beautiful uh, dogs of every breed and variety. And then he gets to spend a little bit of time out on his own hunting and going down to Roswell, New Mexico, which is where we found him this week, headed down to pick up some quail. I'm excited for you to hear and talk and listen to Andy Taylor this week in our Extreme Upland podcast. So Andy, you've trained professionally for the last 10 years, is that correct? Uh, yeah, going on 10 years. Based out of Rush, uh, Colorado, and the Black Forest, you just went down to Roswell, New Mexico, hunting and guiding quail. How did that go? Um, good. I had to do had to drop off some client dogs, and once I got done with client dogs, then I got to mess around myself. So it's always good for me to get away from my family's operation to go mess around myself. I bet that's tough to always be out there with clients uh, hunting and never really get to do it yourself. Um, it's good for the sense that I get to make fun of people shooting without them ever seeing me shoot. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you you were you've trained every kind of bird dog, Andy, really from A to B. If you had to pick one dog to save your life out hunting birds, what breed would that be? Uh, my personal preference is German Shorthairs. Uh, I also have English pointers, but if I I have like a one in a million English pointer because he's amazing at water too, which is like seriously a like finding a diamond in the middle of nowhere. Um, just because generally English pointers aren't known for it, uh, so he's really one in a million dogs. Otherwise, German Shorthairs would definitely be my pick just because they're. They learn so quick on the fly, like, hey, let's go puddle jump these. Okay, well, I'll go jump across a bunch of rocks and go out into a piece of water I've never been into to get this. Um, and then they're also very super personable, handle a huge variety of weather. I've hunted them anywhere from uh, the low 90s to negative 15. There's so, a lot of breeders of German shorthairs. How do you know you're going to find a good breeder? What do people look for? Talking to a lot of different people. Uh, there's people who, similar to myself, I have a good social media press presence, but yet that doesn't mean a lot. There's people who can take some gorgeous pictures, but doesn't mean you're very good at it. Some of the best trainers I know and have learned from, they don't know how to, like just learned how to operate a, a smartphone within the last couple of months. So, uh, and they've never taken a picture of a dog in their life and, I'd put them against anybody. But then you have people who can take great photos and sell dogs like they're going out of style. So how, how so does a guy know? Because that's the biggest of, fear I would have buying a German short hair is how do I find that, that, yeah. that right guy? Uh, ideally, you get to hunt with the mom and dad. 
and be like, hey, what stuff have you done? What uh, have you done trials? Have you done hunt tests? What this? What that? Um, and then a big thing is health clearances, like, okay, hips, eyes, elbows, heart. Um, is there any genetic defects in the bloodline? Is there this? Is there that? Because the more I get into breeding myself, that's something that I'm finding out more and more is there's a lot of, oh, this is a great dog. Okay, by whose standards is it great? Like, have you hunted with a thousand dogs and this is the best one you've seen or is this only your second one and you think this is like the rock star? It's a big problem, uh, right? When you, so, Hunters come in with expectations, Andy. You, you generally ask them if they want to have you make them a, their dog a superstar, you... They generally bring their dogs to you about what age? Ten months old is pretty good because they have their name down pat. They have recall down pat. I have a lot of people who actually are like, hey, I taught them to sit, lie down. I gun broke them all with those stuff. If you did the stuff correctly, you saved me a little bit of time. If you did it incorrectly, what well, should have taken me two months to give you a ready-to-hunt meat dog is now going to take me six months because if you screwed up the... Um, gun intro is now going to take me so much longer to build them back up to change it. Like, hey, by the way, I'm going to make a loud noise. It really messes with dogs if you just freak them out right off the bat. You only get one first impression to introduce the gun, and if you screw it up, you just open up a huge can of worms. Whereas I, I actually tell my clients and people who I sell puppies to, I'm like, if you just teach them recall and their name is the two biggest things. I will teach them a lot of other stuff from there but don't be like hey we're going to go to the gun range and that is the worst way to do gun intro it's kind of funny to where i tell people not to do too much whereas some people are like oh i did this i did that i did that if you did it correctly yes you helped me if you did it incorrectly if you thought it was expensive before it's going to triple because it's going to take you way longer let's talk about recall we have various dogs um, that we hunt together all the time uh, we, we do, so Todd has a couple hard charging, long ranging dogs and seems like those hard charging, hard ranging, you know, just go all day kind of dogs are the ones that are hardest to recall and get back into line where, especially if you're in a pheasant field, you, you definitely don't want them pushing the, the pheasants out before you can get up there. But what, what is the best way? You have a four or five year old dog that just seems to not respond to to vocal calls. And, and is there a way to retrain or reprogram? Sometimes, so it's easier to pull a rope in and to pull uh, push a rope out. So I prefer dogs that are wild, crazy, just off the wall dogs because uh, it's easier for me to calm them down. Like, hey, I need you to pull your head out of your rear end and listen to me than. Hey, you need to get off my phone because I need you to go look for a bird. So um, when I need a dog to slow down and pay attention to me and whatnot, I generally, I have the benefit because I can put them out with some of my personal dogs, but I almost always put a dog down with a e-collar just for insurance purposes, uh, where if they start heading towards a road after chasing a rabbit or something dumb, I'd rather them hate my guts because I just burned my hair off your neck than have to call an owner and be like, hey, by the way, you just wrapped the dog off yesterday and now it's pancakes. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'd rather have the insurance or the e-caller in case I have to turn them around 
or like pause them just for a little bit because they're fighting the heat collar. Um, but usually I have a check cord with them as well for two reasons. One, if they won't come within 20 feet of me uh, just because they're playing ground ass, I can at least have the check cord and like reel them in like, hey, everything's fine and dandy. I'm the same guy who's been level on me, the last couple of days, stuff like that. Um, and then also it's resistance training. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go cut you loose in a bunch of cut uh, corn. You're going to have to pull it through all the corn stalks and this and that, so it slows them down. So it's a, to me, it's a multiple benefit. How long a check cord do you use? Uh, my check cord is like 25 foot. You were talking about gun training and not messing it up. I, I'm always worried with these dogs. I, I'm so happy when I, I see my dogs getting out there and, and, and kicking ass really with, with finding these birds. I'm afraid that I will eventually ruin them trying to get them to recall off an electric collar when I've got them out bird hunting. is How do you guard against that? Um, the biggest deal is just to watch the dog. Like, you just focus entirely on the dog because you as the owner know your dog the best where it's like, okay, are you screwing me over here to birds and running through them or did you just take the wrong path and just happen to go right over the top of them and then, uh, there goes the cubby of tons or... Uh, prairie chickens or whatever. So it's one of those things like, well, did you purposely do that or was it just an accident? So that's kind of the owner's discretion to where most of the time, the dogs won't just give you both middle fingers and just keep going through it. Whereas every once in a while, you'll get a bonehead to where it's like, yeah, you're just being a pain in the butt. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you just, whenever they mess up, you just, uh, you do tone and whistle at them, get them to come back, you have a quick, you like pull them over to you, love on them, like, hey, calm down, everything's fine. That's what we're looking for. Just calm down, hold them tight, uh, wait till I get there. Now, if the dog's going on point and holding them tight, and all of a sudden the bird's wild flush, that's just the name of the game with pen birds and especially wild birds. To where you just have the different things of, um, you just have to know and read your dog as to, like, okay, was that your fault or the bird's fault? Was that uh, this, that, or the other thing? So generally, I just let the dog go figure it out, and if I need to, I bring him back to me. That's where the recall comes in, where it's like, nope, come back here. We're going to have a quick talk, settle you down. Uh, it's kind of like calling a timeout in a basketball game. It's like, hey, uh, we were down two, now we're down 20. Like, let's call a timeout, let's regroup, uh, switch up personnel, something like that, send them back out, and every you can get a drink of water, clear your head take a deep breath and just get back into the group of things and so I switch the score around and now we're four points up. Let's say that you're the GM for the Denver Broncos pheasant hunting team and you're looking at uh, putting together a really good team of different breeds of dogs. How, how would you go about putting together a really awesome team when you start looking at the puppies, uh, the different things how do you evaluate them young enough that you're not making mistakes other than just obviously being able to hunt with the mom and dad, the good genetics? Let's say that all that's equal, that you've spent that much time and, and, and you looked at. That now what do you look at? I mean, when, when all's equal, how would you put that team together? A lot of it has to do also with pedigree. Uh, people are always like, well, I want to make my dog, dog a 1,000-yard dog. Uh, if your dog's only a 50-yard dog, Best of luck to you. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. Like, unless they start chasing a rabbit or something stupid, that's not going to happen. Whereas, like, a 1,000-yard dog can be a 50-yard dog, 
same way a couple million dollar car can go five miles an hour, but yet a five mile an hour bicycle can't go 230 miles per hour. It's just one of those things where um, you have to, as a hunter, look into what you hunt the most. Okay, I do a bunch of waterfowl and like 5% upwind, yes, I would say definitely err on the side of probably a lab or something like that. If you're not into labs or other retrievers, then yes, uh, draw hard, uh, really good red uh, German short hair, stuff like that, you could do it. Um, same with if you want a English pointer, but yet I don't want a 300-yard English pointer, I want a 50-yard. Well, that comes into bloodline. Certain LU bred dogs will run... 50 yards and under, and then there's some LSU bred dogs and uh, Miller's bred dogs that will do a thousand yards plus because that's the way that they were bred. So you have to look into making it your own way. Same with short hair, same with other different breeds. Is within the breed, there's multiple bloodlines where it's like, oh, I want a 50 yard Brittany, you can get a 50 yard, 20 pound, you can get a 60 pound, 200 yard Brittany, you can. You just kind of have to customize it and talk to different breeders as to like, okay, do you do NASA? Do you do horseback trials? Do you do this? Do you do that? Just to kind of customize like, okay, if I see my dog go 200 yards, I'm going to like crap my pants. Whereas if somebody is used to a dog only going uh, 100 yards, then you kind of have to figure out what works for your hunting style. Do you hunt chuckers in Utah? Do you hunt blue quail in uh, Texas, do you go hunt sharp tail in Nebraska? Like, what do you hunt? Then you can kind of base off uh, that stuff as to what type of dog and what type of thing do you need. People try to split hairs about different breeds where, oh, this dog's a good dog, a uh, house dog, and this dog's a uh, crappy house dog, or very sociable, or this one sucks. There's people who have alligators and lions as house pets, so that's a bunch of crock. You can make Anything a really good bird dog, and you can make anything a really good house pet, depending on the time and effort that you spend on. Um, we've just taken away your your license to have English pointers and German short hairs. Uh, you no longer can have them. And I'm going to ask you on different birds, and give me the top couple of dogs you're going to pick, breed dogs you would pick in that case. So um, you can't have English pointers, and you can't have German short hairs. Uh, you still got to make a living, Andy. And we're going to go first to pheasants. What's the first one or two dog dog breeds you'd go with? Man, oh man, am I going to get a lot of meat for this answer? Um, <laughs> I'm so putting you on the I, spot. <laughs> I have I have a bunch of clients and close uh, trialing and hunt test friends who uh, then I train their dogs or compete against their dogs. And uh, I talk a lot of smack on Britneys, but yet in the worst of conditions, especially when it's super hot and dry. A Britney, I would put $100 on a Britney kicking butt every single time, which always just completely baffles me because uh, I'm sitting there thinking, like, watch them, like, you're four inches off the ground. There's no way you're going to be able to smell anything. And then, ta-da, they, they just outscored me and outscored me and got a place in it, and I look like an idiot. So it's one of those things where uh, between trialing and hunt testing and all everything else that I do, and hunt with different buddies with different breeds of dogs, no, as soon as you open your mouth about a certain dog, that's exactly when you're going to look like a fool. <laughs> so um, that's why the saying exists that every dog has a day. There, I will say that there's certain breeds that through the years that I've trained that 
my opinion of them has gone down, and then there's other breeds that my opinion has gone up. Would you be willing to share? No. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to goad you here, Andy. <laughs> hey, don't take the bait, Andy. <laughs> I think you. I think that you are. You do hold that uh, information uh, that everybody would like to know, and I don't blame you for saying that because you do train everybody's dogs, and then the next thing you'll know is you'll say, "Don't hunt with this breed," and they won't bring your dog. But if <clears throat> the number one mistake that guys like us, if we're kind of raising our own dog we can't bring it to you uh you're too full the number one mistake that guys like us make uh training our dogs like the biggest thing you just think gosh my guys you're all idiots quit doing that if everybody would quit taking their two or two month old three month old four month old whatever age dog to the shooting range and be like oh well we're gonna go shoot some clays uh and hold on to the puppy and see i had probably Two million rounds go off around me, and if I was watching TV and somebody just came up and shot a gun right next to my head, where I'm not like aware of it, I would still crap my pants. Yeah. And you're expecting a dog who's never been around it, around a gunshot, anything like that, to not flip out and hate guns. You're just asking for trouble, and then. You're going to hate my guts whenever I send you the invoice for how long it's going to take me to fix your dog. You get to go do whatever upland game bird hunting that you want to do. Uh, whatever you want to do. No clients, just you. What is it you're going to go hunt? And where? Um, I hunted over different species of upland bird uh, so far with my goal to shoot uh, one of each species in North America. And so far, my favorite is Gale Quill. To me, they, everybody, most everybody hates them, but to me, they are just a load of fun. Uh, I have the advantage that because of how often I guide with my uh, crew of dogs, where we are really used to point relocate, point relocate, uh, finally get a flush, knock them down, continue on, go do it again. Uh, we're really used to doing that with present. The same thing, except for they're teeny tiny and live in Cactusville. So for me, they are they're super duper fast. Uh, whenever you're hunting them, you don't know if it's gonna be one bird or uh, about five years ago. Years ago, uh, a buddy in New Mexico put me on a great hunt where we had one covey that was. We talk about it all the time. It had to be between 75 and 100 birds in one cubby. It was the most insane thing. There was four of us with guns ready. I had my camera ready to take the photo. And as soon as the, the birds flushed, it was probably about 50 yards wide where birds were popping everywhere all at one time. And not a single shot went off until they got out to like 60 yards. And I'm like, shoot, shoot. But <laughs> it, was, it was just insane. So if you were going to say in all your experience, you can, and you had to say the goat dog you ever hunted with was this dog that you, you, you could only ever hunt with that dog the rest of your life. It was, and it was the goat. What dog in your history was that dog, Andy? Um, I have two really good males right now to where, uh, one of my German short hairs, I've owned his mom, his, uh, grandma and i learned bird dogs off of his great grandsire 
and great-grandmother and stuff. And I, like, anytime I think he's, he can be an absolute bonehead, his name's Ben. But yet, you turn him loose in the field, and of the 12 species of upland birds I've killed with him and the 10 species of waterfowl, I don't know how the dog clicks so easily, but he's pretty universal. You want to go hunt uh, merns right along the Mexico border? Got it. You want to go hunt Nebraska sharp-tailed and prairie chickens? Got it. You want to do pheasants in uh, eastern Colorado, western Kansas? Got it. Like, and he does it with absolute ease. So he's he's pretty dang good. And then I have uh, an English punter whose uh, name is Baymax. He'll be five in November, and he's he's pretty wicked. But it's 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 always tough because whenever you have a really good dog, it's like, well, if this dog in their prime went against this dog in their prime, like who would actually win? I've had some really good dogs, and uh, there's some client dogs from breeds that I do not own that I've been like, you know what, that's a pretty badass dog. I, I'd actually own that one. There's days where I've taken uh, client dogs out hunting with me to clean fields at my family's preserve, and my dogs will go right past the area. I'm like, oh, there's no bird. And then a client dog will go over there and go on point, whether it's a short hair, a Vishla, a Weimaraner, a Setter, a, uh, a Brittany, whatever. And you have to understand, it's like one of those things where it's, did that bird move in the 10 seconds that my dog just ran through there, or did my dog just like breathe out when it should have breathed in to smell that? Like what, what went wrong? So it's one of those things that <laughs> maybe it's just because it's my dog and I'm trying to cover come up with excuses why they suck, but similar to everybody with the basketball team, like uh, the current situation with the Lakers, everybody, okay, the Lakers have been one of the best uh, programs in the NBA, but yet they they have a good couple of years, then they slack off. They have a good couple of years, then they slack off. So similar to me is if you ever think you're just the best and can't do better, then uh, you're missing the whole point of doing something. So for me, I think I have pretty good dogs now. And the parents and grandparents that I owned before or worked with before. Um, and then now the puppies of my really good dogs that are only, I have one who's seven months old who's turned out to be a pretty good rock star already. It just, it pushes you towards like, you know what, I, but that's why they have uh, the different, the iPhone, iPhone 5, the iPhone 6, the iPhone, so on. I think there's like 10 or 11 now. If you're, if you're not striving to improve and get better with each one, but you're missing the purpose and fun of things. So this is Ryan. I, I got to know in all your travels, the hole in the wall place that you're going to pick when you go somewhere to eat and what you're going to order there. Can't miss it. You, you, you go by there. You got to got it. You got to have it. Oh, there's, there's a little uh, burger place. And the core of New Mexico, which every time I go anywhere near there, oh my gosh, there's, what's funny is there's like maybe eight tables for the whole dang restaurant. And you, on a weekday, will stand there and wait for like 30 minutes to eat. And then it will take you like an hour to eat and whatnot. But they make some of the best burgers ever. Just a couple of weeks ago, I went to uh, a buddy's place in Corpus Christi. Texas to hunt ducks, and there was a place called uh, Docks or Doms or something right on the bay. Oh my gosh, that seafood was just incredible. 
uh, we're, we're riding. It's like a guy giving up his best uh, quell spot. What was the name of the place in the burger place? Uh, I forget the name of it, but it's in Socorro, New Mexico. And what it is is that they, uh, all I remember is there is so many freaking awards on the walls and like <laughs> uh, police badges and all this other amazing stuff. We'll look it up. It's like the, one of the only re- restaurants in the area for like that town. And uh, the, the chef actually beat Bobby Flay and a couple other like high-end chefs in cook-offs. And yeah, they had a green chili cheese, uh, bacon cheeseburger that was probably the most amazing thing I've ever had. Well, I'll tell you what, Todd and I have hunted New Mexico quite a few times. We've never found anywhere we even like to eat. So, Andy, we really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah. uh, you're awesome. We're Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope I helped some. Thank you, Andy, for your time. I know that this week I was talking to some hunters uh, that were very experienced who've made some of the same mistakes that you talked about in terms of gun shyness and some of the mistakes you talk about uh, before they bring their dogs to you. I think... Uh, if you could listen to what Andy said and, and just gleam a few of these amazing tidbits from him, you're going to be well served. Folks, as always, uh, make sure you're subscribing so that you get to participate every Tuesday as we release these amazing interviews and campfire talks with the Upland heroes of our day. You just don't want to miss these amazing conversations we have with these awesome Upland pros about everything Upland. Only here at Extreme Upland. Thank you.